Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to be here, courtesy of your grace and mercy. We thank you for your word which enlightens us and this opportunity to be separate from the world and totally concentrate on your word as it's being spoken. We ask for your Holy Spirit, Father, to open us up tonight, to enlighten us as we humbly sit before your feet. We most of all, Father, thank you that Jesus Christ made this all possible for us once for all so that we can sit here in peace knowing our salvation through him, knowing your grace and love for us. Father, we ask that you bless this message. Guide us by your Holy Spirit as usual. We ask all these things in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Well, our last couple of lessons have required some high-level thinking, if you haven't noticed. But, um, you know, when you hear that term, high-level thinking or elevate your thinking, I think we have to be careful not to think of, like, intellect, that we have to figure this out and, like, you know, we might get into a, a rut of I'm not smart enough to figure this out. That has nothing to do with it, really. Um, I believe it's a willingness to receive the Spirit's help to look at things from a spiritual perspective. So elevate your thinking. That's what we've had to do the last couple lessons. And if you didn't, you, you've missed out. Like, there were so many gems in the last couple lessons. Like, it was, you know, a lot of uh, spiritual stuff to think of, like how things work, how things function, how God wants us to think and, and be in him. So I just hope that um, you take the time to ask for the Spirit's help, because that's what we don't, often don't do. We don't ask for his help. Help us see things as he does. Help us see the big picture. I hope you all use some of your time as the emphasis has been, make the most of your time because the days are evil. Use some of your time to synthesize the last couple lessons. There's so much to think about and ponder and embrace if we're listening. So this goes back to quiet time, which came up a few weeks ago and how valuable that is. And we get busy with our lives. We all do, you know. Um, many of you work hard or you've got things you're really battling in life. But to not put aside that, that isolated time, if you will, for God in the morning, at night, whatever, whatever you have to do. But that's where we miss out. That's where we see the big picture if we're asking him for help. Otherwise, we're just kind of going through the, these motions and learning and going to live our own lives and not taking an accounting of it, if you will, for ourselves and what God wants us to do. So I suggest getting some quiet time with the notes or the messages from Thursday and Sunday. We're promised in Holy Scripture, when we seek Him, we will find Him if we seek Him with all our heart. That's a pretty big disclaimer. You know, He doesn't want um, half effort. Like It's like a child that obeys his parents only when it's good for him. You know, If you seek Him, you'll find Him. So take these things as opportunities, especially when the Spirit gives special prompting to it. We should do this anyway. We should synthesize and like find our quiet time and ask God, what the heck do you want from me You know, regarding these lessons? and what, Where am I missing here? We should always do that. But especially when you give special attention like this, you know, you're really missing out if you don't take advantage of it. So all this is really just another form of the big O. And we know what the big O is by now. I don't even have to say it, right? And if you do obey, you will be blessed. So again, we're the ones that miss out if we don't take advantage of these opportunities that the Spirit brings up for us. As we learned on Sunday, you know, you might be battling sin. Sin might be controlling you lately in one way or another. 
But we learn that obedience is the escape or the rescue from the deceitfulness of sin. It almost might seem oversimplified, but if you do what I say, you will be blessed. It's like a parent, again, going to the kid saying, stop doing that. I'm going to discipline you again if you do that again. If you obey me, you're going to be blessed. It's so ridiculously simple. So when we submit like that, we obey his commands. You mean sin has no longer a hold over us? That's what ends up happening over time. So if you've been struggling lately, or even you're just sick and tired of giving in to sin in certain areas, obedience is the answer. Surrender and start obeying his commands and see how your life changes. God's word, remember, God's word has the power to rescue us all. His word is perfect, it's pure, it has every answer to every problem in life in the book. But it only works practically for us if we humbly decide to follow it and follow him. So I know you all know that, but that's where obedience comes in. Something very interesting the Spirit gave us on Thursday is that obedience is actually an imperative, an interesting you know, thing to uh, stake claim to. It just is a part of a believer's life. It just is. After all, the believer's changed by God, right? And given a new heart. So we saw on the board regarding obedience. Obedience isn't just wrought with blessings. That is true. But it is an imperative, an absolute. It isn't optional for a believer. This is something Jesus plainly stated in John 14 and 15, as we've seen. So once again, let's uh, see this interesting comparison of scriptures. Turn in your Bibles to John 14, 15. John 14, 15. You've got to love when Jesus plainly states something. Because you have no choice but to think about it to ponder it, to not, you can't escape it. It's not a parable that you, you know, are having trouble figuring out. Very straightforward. John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. As we've noted, there's no room in there for a maybe. He said, If you actually do love me, you will keep my commandments. And there are different degrees of this because we're all growing and at different stages. But if you do love me, you will keep my commandments. Statement of fact. On the board regarding obedience again. If grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ, as in John 1.17b, then the object of our obedience is Christ himself. In other words, he is the word, right? In John 1. So when we obey the word, we're obeying him. And that intimacy is inseparable. That is, that is a one-to-one one, one one correlation. When we obey the word, we're obeying him, his person, because he is truth. So again, look at John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus says this is simply how it is if you love him. If you love him, which true believers do, at least to some degree, then you will keep his commands. That's what we might call the inevitable good result of a changed heart or the inevitable fruit of good soil. And the believer who loves God desires or possesses a desire and a willingness to obey God because he's changed. He's grateful now, right? At the very least, a believer, when they turn to Christ and realize they need him and they're saved, at the very least, there's an inkling of gratitude. There's some gratitude there of what God did for you, even though you're undeserved, undeserving. So as a believer who loves God, um, that believer possesses a desire to obey God to some degree. And the Bible tells us he just does. That's the great thing about this. That's what we've really been learning for the last few years. The Bible just says th this is how it is. This is what a believer looks like. It's matter-of-factly stated. So I hope everyone is starting to see that for themselves in their own soul and the conviction of their own soul. Then we also saw the reverse is true. Uh, the Lord basically set 
these truths before us as interchangeable. Go again to John 15, verse 8. John 15, verse 8. The Lord basically sets these two truths before us as interchangeable, as back and forth. We can't possess one without the other. They intimately exist together in the soul of a believer. John 15, 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So, again, there's a plain dogmatic conclusion we see, and we see it from two different sides. On the board, just a little summary statement. If and you will. John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. As our dear pastor put it, together his pair of promises interlock. And like this is one of those things that we should be praying about. We should be going home and saying, what does that mean? Why did you present it that way, Lord? What does it mean that these things interlock like this? Are interchangeable? Are one and the same in a way? These are spiritual things, right? This is not a map problem to figure out. This is not like a definitions test. This is figuring out what this means. That's what he wants us to go to him with. So the question came up on Sunday, and it's a big question. Is this what it means to abide in eternal life? Just look at the statements on the board. Think of love and obedience interchangeable. Is this what it means to abide in eternal life? To live in the life of God himself? To have a relationship with him? And how you relate to him as a child is by a bi-directional flow of love and obedience. Is this what it means to abide in eternal life? In relationship with him? In peaceful, loving, obedient relationship with him. And then you get a peace that you don't understand. Why? Because you're obeying. Because you love him. And because you love him, you're obeying. And from that, it doesn't make sense to the flesh. I still have trouble grasping even what I'm saying. But when you do that thing, when you obey and you do that thing, there's a certain level of peace in your life that takes over. And you're not frantic like you used to be. You're not spun up like the world. It's, again, it's hard to describe, and it's probably different for every single person, but it is a truth. The question is if we want that relationship. Do we want to abide in an eternal life like that and follow him with a grateful heart? If you love someone, you do what they ask you to do because you desire to please them, right? If you really love someone, you, you almost do whatever they ask you to do, unless it's wrong, right? But even then, you're like, well, I love them. I want to do this for them. That's the attitude the Lord had in his human life on earth. He desired to do nothing but please the Father, right? Do the Father's will. That's an attitude. That's an, a heart issue. But he obeyed the Father's commands out of love. So Jesus is our illustration of abiding in eternal life is what we got out of Sunday. Jesus is an illustration, his life and the way he conducted himself, the way he prioritized God's plan for him over any personal comfort even. He's our example of abiding in eternal life, which is a life of love and therefore obedience and vice versa. So the perspective is simple. It's not complicated, but it's heavenly minded, isn't it? This is not how we think. This is not even how we want to think. We want to rebel to some degree. We want to live our own life and figure it out our own way, have it on our own, um, you know, standards. 
These are heavenly-minded principles. And if we, by faith, believe them, God can set us free on a lot of this stuff. So the Spirit gave us this on eternal life on Sunday. God has no beginning and no end. He is the Alpha and the Omega, Revelation 1.8. But it's not just about an endless timeline. He is eternal life. Try to grab onto that by the Spirit. He is eternal life. What does that mean? 1 John 1.2 tells us that. 1 John 5.11 and 20. So don't say, it's too much for me. I can't understand that. Like some people, even believers, I think, get discouraged when they see that. He is eternal life. Oh, what do you mean? I can't, I can't go there, right? In my mind, it's too much. But the Spirit wants to help us see uh, glimpses of the supernatural and understand. The Spirit wants us to have a piece of Him, to see, to relate to Him in a different way, a very different way. As the Spirit emphasized for us on Sunday, what we mustn't miss is the simple reality that eternal life transcends human timelines. So eternal life is not just a timeline, but it's a life. Think about it that way. It's a life. It's a quality of life. It's a certain type of life that only God possesses. And He wants us to experience it now. It's the life of God which is not only endless, but is perfect and pure, among other things. In fact, as we know, it is Jesus Christ. So go to 1 John 1, 2 so we can revisit these amazing passages. 1 John 1, 2. The Bible's like not shy about declaring that Jesus is eternal life. It doesn't beat around the bush whatsoever. So this, this is how you know. This is not about academics. This is about understanding something spiritual. 1 John 1, 2. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Manifested to us. That means revealed to us in the person of Jesus, live in the flesh on earth. So eternal life was manifested to us. The eternal life of God was shown us or revealed to us by the life of Christ. So again, Jesus Christ doesn't just have eternal life. He is eternal life. These are things to get some quiet time over. And if we don't, that's where sin invades. That's where sin sneaks in and helps you dismiss it. It says it's too much for me. I don't want to think about that because we're lazy and we're selfish. Sin wants to trick us into thinking in an earthly-minded way about this or any other thing, or to just give up trying to understand spiritual things. Just as sin wants to water down our view of God in our hearts. This was the context of uh, Tozer's comments on Sunday, which Pastor, the slides messed up on Sunday. He wasn't able to put this up, but A.W. Tozer says, The low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. A whole new philosophy of the Christian life has resulted from this one basic error in our religious thinking. And this was written in the mid-1900s. That's what he saw in Christianity then. The problem is a low view of God. Is, is your view of God too low? Not um, seeing Him in all, in all of His magnificence? Not awestruck? Not pondering His greatness? Because we all get familiar, right? We all get familiar. You're in the Word, you get to know the Word, you get too familiar in your footsteps in the spiritual walk. And you stop and forget about the awesomeness and the power, the sheer power of God. And that leads to a ton of other lesser evils, as Tozer said. For example, lazy Christians are fine 
keeping a low view of eternal life. Instead of giving God the due He deserves and trying to see what God means by eternal life and what it means to say He is eternal life. A lazy Christian will say, let's just say it's a timeline and move on because I've got to go live my own life. That's really good to know, Lord, that I'm going to live forever with you. I'll see you in heaven, basically, right? I'm going to go live my own life. We're supposed to be living for Him and for others. So it's just a lazy mentality. And this is back to the influence of sin. Sin wants us to water down all the things of God, including things like His majesty, His sovereignty, His power. Let's water it all down. Let's water down the definition of eternal life so we don't have to ponder it, so we don't have to get closer to God and actually have a relationship. Listen, your flesh doesn't want that. My flesh doesn't want that. But that's why we're here. Like we're here and we need to be here to be influenced by the Spirit and to consider these things. These things are going to last for all eternity that we can either blow off and, and, and lose out on or enjoy now and, and have a greater eternity because of it. I mean, the comparison is not even worth comparing, but... Again, sin wants to water down all the things of God to the point of not even making them supernatural, spiritual considerations in our hearts. Sin would be really happy if you do that and you keep it academic. Sin also says, let's make all these truths about God just facts in a book. Let's not allow man to focus on his person and that God is all these things beyond human comprehension. We're back to being arrogant control freaks. That's what our flesh is. If we don't see something right away, like he is eternal life, then we want to put it aside so we can stay in control of our own lives and we're not disturbed. Our own lives aren't disturbed. Arrogant control freaks. Don't fall for the trap of sin in that way. Submit. <laughs> so a little more on this from the Spirit. Sin wants us to stop our thinking of eternal life at the timeline definition. Sin wants us to stop right there. That's what it is, a timeline. You're good. That's good enough. So that you won't look into the depths of God and build a closer, loving awestruck relationship with him. Remember when you were a new believer. Remember when you first realized the Bible was the word of God and you started learning these principles and you learned about grace and you learned that he forgave, forgave your sins as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't remember your sins anymore. Remember that incredible gratitude and, and awesomeness you felt about God and appreciation that's what God wants us to have every day as his child, right? Don't let sin tell you it's good enough that you, what, with what you already know. He wants an, a loving, personal, awestruck relationship with him. He wants to reveal to us more about him, like to show us himself. But he's not going to do it if you're not desiring it, seeking him. So this is about a new life in Christ himself. And I'll remind you again on the board, in Ephesians 2.14a, he himself is our peace. It doesn't just say, the Bible doesn't just say he gives us peace. And he wants us to have his peace. It says he is our peace. Eternal life is in him and it is him. God is asking us again to elevate our thinking and stop being earthly minded. Think big picture. Try to enjoy and be enraptured by the fullness of the person of God. Without, without quiet time alone with him, you're not going to see the fullness of the person of God. He's not going to be able to re reveal himself to you in that way. I want to share with you a perspective from a song by Toby Mack, uh, who has a lot of meaningful words in his songs. 
And uh, this is a song I think is fairly new. It's called It's You by Toby Mac. He says, it's you. Then everything else just falls in line. You. You will always hold this heart of mine. It's you. It's you. Lord, it's you. Then everything else just falls in line. It's about the person of the Lord. That, that's why we're here, right? Jesus said, you search through the scriptures and you don't even realize they're talking about me. You think through the scriptures you have eternal life, but they're showing you me. It's about his person. It's about a relationship with a person who we were made in the image of originally. His word is not just to reveal facts about him. It's to reveal him. In another stanza, it goes on to say, I'm into the newness, the new bliss. Me and you together, tell me how to loop this. How to loop this. I'm going to start rapping now. Um, tell me how to loop this. It's an interesting line. What have, we, what have we been talking about with love and obedience and obedience and love? and love and obedience, how interchangeable they are, how interlocking they are. Who is it about? It's about Him, the Lord. I'm into the newness, the new bliss, me and you together. Tell me how to loop this, to loop this, to go on forever. Road of crescendo, goodbye limbo, like a new day dawning, show me the window where I can see it's you then everything else just falls in line. You. You probably, if you've been into the Word of God for any amount of time, understand how everything else falls in line when your eyes are on Him. Not so much just your eyes are on the Word or gaining knowledge, when your eyes are on the person of Christ, how everything else just straightens out, falls into place, and He covers your back even when you should have been squashed. So we have to cry out to God every single day to help us see. Help us see spiritual things, in particular Him, His person, His character, His integrity, and how love and obedience are part of eternal life. These are supernatural dynamic things He wants us to see. Regarding eternal life again, God has no beginning and no end. He is the Alpha and the Omega, but it's not just about an endless timeline. He is eternal life. Try to grab onto that by the Spirit. He wants you to. Turn to 1 John 5, 11. First John 5, 11. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. When we believers are granted eternal life, we are granted much more than endless life. This life is in His Son. As Pastor reminded us on Sunday, even people in the lake of fire are going to exist forever. But they don't have eternal life. So what is it? To understand how love and obedience connect, we need to grasp this about eternal life, this concept about eternal life being the Son of God Himself. So listen for a minute here. The very eternal life we are given gives us a heart of love and obedience. We might say it's part of the heart of God that we've been adopted into. The very eternal life we've been given as believers, gives us a heart of love and obedience. How do these things tie in? How do they loop? How are they so, you know, congruent? How are they so perfectly flowing? Eternal life, love, obedience, relationship. Ask God to show you. Pastor Collins said this on Sunday, eternal life implies love and obedience because all three concepts are wrapped, concept are wrapped up in the essence of God. Eternal life implies love and obedience. 
because they're all part of who God is, part of who Christ is. As he taught on Sunday at salvation, we're given him. We're given Jesus Christ, right? We're not just given a list of free gifts in the Bible. Those things come as part of our relationship to Christ, as part of our inheritance. To truly know our God and not just know about Him requires a certain submission, submission, submission. That was a combination of submission and surrender. That's what I was going to say. Requires a certain submission and surrender to both His justice and His love. That's a good one. That might work. Submission. No, maybe not. But to truly know our God personally and not just know about Him requires a certain submission and surrender to both His justice and His love, minimally. Now, all these things are God. We're talking about the essence of God, His person, that He is these things. But minimally, a submission to the justice and love of God, to seeing both sides of God, if you will. It's really a surrender to Him in both majesty and mercy, because He's both to the nines, to the nth degree, right? He's both. It reminds me of a principle that came out of a mini-series we did during the Gospel Reload, which was called The Fullness of the Gospel, that giving the Gospel begins with presenting His justice and then turning to Christ for His love. And if you think about it, it's really presenting Him. It's really presenting the person of God in all of His fullness to somebody, although we can't really ever fully describe Him. In other words, you know, who is this God we're called to serve? Who is this God that created us? Who is this God we're called to serve and follow? What's the call on us? Do I want to get to know him? Who is he? You're really in good shape if you start with his justice and his love, his mightiness and his mercy. And this is what came out, you know, in presenting the gospel, which really is presenting him. The fullness of the gospel begins with God's justice, and then it flows to his love. Thus, the call to repentance towards God, the judge, and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, as we know in Acts 20.21. That's how Paul regularly presented the gospel. We are to present a full picture of him, in other words, not a watered-down version of him. And this picture of God includes things like obedience and love, too, as part of the eternal life of God. So again, presenting Him, the fullness of the gospel begins with God's justice and then it flows to His love. Thus the call to repentance towards God, the judge, and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. So back to our main train of thought. Jesus is eternal life. Look at 1 John 5.20. 1 John 5.20. Again, you've got to love plainly stated scripture. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And Him being eternal life ties into love and obedience, which was the life Jesus lived, by the way. It was who He was as a person, even on earth. So again, on the board, regarding if and you will, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. John 15, 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And then Jesus tells us why he wants us to know all this about him. Uh, It's like not for no reason. He wants us to share his joy. Turn again to the Gospel of John, John 15, 10. John 15, 10. He wants us to share his joy. As Pastor said on Sunday, he's given us the keys to his car, which is ridiculous. And he's like, I want you to ride in this. I want, I want you to experience the joy I have 
in an intensely personal relationship with the Father. There's an intense joy Jesus had with the Father that he wants us to share in. John 15:10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Remember this line right there. Remember this verse when we go to 1 John again. Because the Apostle John writes about this same concept that he wants us to share in his joy. The relationship John had with Jesus. The relationship here that Jesus had with the Father. They both said, I want you to share in that joy. That your joy may be made full, if you will. John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Do you see how close God desires us to be with him, to be with his person? God is not standoffish, as our flesh tries to tell us. God has fully opened himself up to us. The God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, has fully opened himself up to us. Like to have a free, flowing relationship. We might call it eternal life. We might call it love and obedience. A bi-directional love. But he's fully opened up that avenue through Christ for us. There's like no, nothing in the way whatsoever. He wants us to abide in his love, to abide in eternal life, to, to see and experience and feel this for ourselves in this life, and to see that he himself is our peace. His person is our peace. You've heard people say, you know, I don't care, I have Jesus. And I'm talking kind of the older, more mature person that you know has a relationship with the Lord, and they can be going through anything. They could be going through whatever, a deadly sickness. And you can tell that they have the peace of God in the, in the way that they say that statement. And what do they say? They don't say, I have the word of God, or I know the word of God, or I know God's promises. They say, I have Jesus. There's a personal thing there, right? I can't even, I can't explain it. But it's something that um, you can catch glimpses of. It's that trust in that person that overcomes all the things, that overrides all the things. This book, learning this book, is to gain trust in that person so that the trust in our person is unshakable because we know his character and his love, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. God has fully opened himself up to us. That's crazy, but he has. It's free. Even though God is full of justice, He's also full of mercy towards those who seek shelter in him. As you read the Old Testament, you read the Psalms, you read different books, what do you see? You see God saying, I will be merciful to whoever seeks shelter in me, seeks refuge in me. Simple, beautiful, submission and surrender and humility. I'll be merciful to you. God says, I fully open myself up to you. My mercy is, I want to flood it out towards you, you know, without any holding back. Do you seek me? Do you seek me? Like a baby chick under the eagle's wings, as the Old Testament would say, right? I'll give you that shelter. I'm full of mercy. As also came out on Sunday on eternal life, our God invites us to eternal life into the Holy of Holies to fellowship with him personally. His joy and peace are our privilege in Christ Jesus. That should say are, not are, not is. His joy and peace are our privilege in Christ Jesus. He invites us into eternal life, into the Holy of Holies to fellowship with him how do you do that if you don't have quiet time? How do you do that if you don't 
get alone with God and think about one verse from tonight or one point from tonight that you know you didn't grasp. How do you have that sweet fellowship with him that he invites you to freely if you don't do that thing? His joy and peace, those are our privilege to enjoy because we're in Christ. And what do we do? We go live our own lives. We don't want to be too disturbed or spend too much time thinking about this stuff because I got my own life to live in. Fill, whatever, fill with garbage, right? The Word of God expresses great confidence that we believers will love and we will obey. We will have eternal life. This is how the Word of God speaks to us as believers. So the Word expresses an absoluteness of being in fellowship with God. Turn again to 1 John 1.1, and we're just going to read through this chapter again, which is just an amazing chapter. It's, it's largely about the absolute nature of a relationship with God, or the absoluteness of being in fellowship with God. 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. You see John's desire? It's the same desire Jesus had in John 15, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. I want you to have this. Jesus said that in John 15. The Apostle John saying that right here. I want you to have this. I want you to see this. I want you to taste this. It's different. It's spiritual. It's heavenly-minded. These things I write, we write, so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. That basically says a believer will walk in the light. A believer will walk in the light. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. It really is an overwhelming, plain and truthful chapter. There's no room for flip-flopping, you know? There's no, there's no room for confusion. There's nothing to figure out. This is how it is, John says. And in love, that's what he tells us. On the board, fellowship with God... As we begin to close, things like love and obedience, this came out on Sunday, but it was not on the board. Things like love and obedience are intrinsic to a believer's very existence. It's because there is perfection with eternal life, perfect harmony, perfect love. Fellowship with God. These things like love and obedience are intrinsic to a believer's very existence. It's who the believer is. You have the nature of Christ in you. So whether you like it or not, you have Him. You have these intrinsic qualities that are Him within you. Like love and obedience. We can all thank sin, however, for our insecurities. You know, when we doubt God's love for us, when we don't believe that He wants open fellowship with us, like unhindered fellowship, when we start doubting and questioning these things and saying that we're not good enough, that's what sin is doing to influence us away from that personal, 
intimate relationship he wants with us. Thus, the need to submit to God and his word if we want to see the light of the truth. Turn again to Ephesians 5.13. Ephesians 5.13. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. We have such a short time, guy. I know this always comes up. I think the Spirit always has me saying this, so I'm sorry. But we have such a short time on this earth. We don't know if we're going home tonight, right? Tomorrow. You young people aren't guaranteed any amount of years. So make the most of your time because the days are evil. In other words, obey his commands and abide in his love while you still have time. Just do it. Obey his commands and abide in his love. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. If you keep my commands, you'll abide in my love. Submit, obey, be blessed, bring glory to God before it's too late. What are we doing living for ourselves? On the board, purpose gives direction. Given that the Lord has revealed real purpose for us, the point is that we don't misappropriate our lives once saved. Don't waste your time away on earthly things like People spend hours and hours and hours on earthly things that have zero eternal value. What are we doing? Are we just trying to avoid having to think about our sorrows or something? Are we trying to live in denial of the things we don't want to think about or our struggles, our mental struggles, our physical struggles, whatever? Is that what we're doing? Yeah, probably. We're trying to appease ourselves or make ourselves forget about we have, we have eternal life to actually live out. We have God on our side. Don't misappropriate our lives. Once saved. We can't do that. Make the most of your time. The days are evil. In other words, love one another while you still have time. Some of you want to know, wonder what to do with your time, right? Because I'm in the same boat sometimes. You're sitting around, you're like, God, what do you want me to do? What can I do? You know, I'm bored. I don't want to do this because that's probably going down the wrong path. But what can I do? How about reach out and love someone in some way? That's spiritual. That's obeying his commands. I don't know how you do it. It's different every time to different people, the way you express yourself, the way you, the relationship you have, whatever. Why don't we just do that, though? Because we're selfish. And we think our lives don't matter. We think we can't bring glory to God. That's sin talking to you. Why don't we just reach out and love somebody? What is our problem? Do something that you know he wants you to do, in other words. Galatians 5.13 You were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. There's no greater purpose than that. And Jesus made it plain as day. He's like, this is what I want you to do. If you had to pick one thing, it's to love others. Love God and love others. Love them with the gospel. Love them with the compassion and mercy of Christ. It's not confusing. Some people are like, what, what's my spiritual gift? I don't know what it is, or I don't know what I should be doing. <laughs> Why don't you just cut through all that garbage and excuse-making and just go love somebody? Because you know he wants you to do that. You might not know what your spiritual gift is. You know he wants you to do that. And if you love me, you'll keep my commands, he said. In closing, Jesus' life was not all about himself, obviously. It was about the Father's will to reach out to others. And therein lies true joy and happiness. That's what we see from the whole Bible, really. 
in that thing of loving others and living for others lies true joy and happiness and true purpose and true fulfillment. It's more blessed to give than receive. So maybe, just maybe, that's a glimpse of eternal life. The life of God. How happy are you when you finally take your eyes off yourself and you give to somebody else in some way? How much joy do you receive? We've all been there at some point where we actually forget about our problems and ourselves and go help someone that actually has a real need and just love them unconditionally or whatever and help them without any price attached. You feel fulfilled. That's the peace of God. That's a glimpse of eternal life. That's the life of God himself. Remember in Thursday's lesson, God works on our behalf. And God is always working, Jesus said. My father's always working and I'm always working. What was he, what was he working for? For himself? To build himself a mansion? Or to save others? We work to build ourselves a mansion on earth, generally speaking. He worked always for the benefit of others. And what, what results from that? A truly good, divine accomplishment, uh, a purpose fulfilled, maybe a saved soul, maybe somebody saved from a horrible situation. Maybe someone just needed to see that, to see the love of Christ in somebody in this cold world that we live in. But maybe that's the life of Christ. Maybe that's eternal life that he wants us to live in, the very life of God, Jesus himself. He is eternal life, and we've been made born again to live in it. Let's close. Father, we thank you so much for your word and your spirit. Uh, we ask you to open up our minds and our eyes and our hearts so that we can see spiritual things, so that we can see things how you see things. And Father, help us to personally know eternal life, which is your Son. Your Son is eternal life, Father. Help us know and understand what this means and to live in it and make His joy complete by living in His wishes for us, to be intimate with you, to live the unique spiritual life you have for us, all through Christ Jesus. We ask that you bless us as we go. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit.